Hi, and welcome to Brady's Corner. Thanks for joining. We have a phenomenal guest, one of my absolute favorite guests this morning, Pat McKee, CEO of McKee Homes. Welcome, Pat. Um, how's everything going? You're calling in from Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, great to be here. Happy New Year, Brady. Uh, it's New exciting. Year. I mean, 2022 was a fun and exciting and tough year, I think, for a lot of us. So everybody's kind of on pins and needles as to what 2023 is going to hold for us. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what everybody's talking about, looking in their crystal balls. Uh, the news would have us uh, scared to death. And it depends on on who you talk to. Um, if it's, um, you know, folks in the financial industry, they'll they'll already say it's on the up on the uptick, if it's single family builders only, it's it's not looking great. But then, you know, um, single family rentals, uh, build to rent, all gas, no brakes. Well, it's been a roller coaster ride, right? You know, we went uh, this time in 2020. So three years ago, you know, not far from, you know, when March came around, everybody was scared. We were falling off a cliff, right? From a perspective of uh, single family for sale business. And then, uh, you know, things turned around pretty quickly and went gangbusters for the next year and a half to two years. And, uh, you know, we saw a spike in sales, a spike in closings, a spike in demand that uh, were unprecedented. And, uh, you know, now with the Fed coming in and tightening everything down and purposely trying to slow things down, I mean, we've seen a slowdown to the likes that uh, I've not seen since 2008. Uh, so, you know, it's got lots of people worried and lots of people talking, but I mean, I think it, it should have been expected. Uh, you know, anytime things shoot up so quickly, they typically come down pretty quickly too, and then they'll overshoot and you'll kind of settle into a new normal. And, uh, you know, a lot of people that, you know, it's, it's interesting as I talk to my colleagues around the country, nobody's overly concerned right now. I mean, as much of a dramatic slowdown as we've seen in sales and, uh, you know, future closings, nobody's overly concerned. And I think because we learned a lot of lessons from 2008, but we also know what's different this time that wasn't, you know, present uh, in 2008, what was different then that we don't have now. That's really interesting. What fundamentals do you think are different between now? You know, everybody's, you know, they're still making the 2008 comparison. What fundamentals are different? Yeah, I mean, I mean, one, we were not propped up this time by artificial demand. I mean, in 2008, I mean, there was a huge boom in construction, right? So we were building more houses, both uh, single family detached, attached apartments, everything was booming. And we were booming for a, a somewhat of a fake demand, in my opinion. We had, you know, a lot of uh, uh, people that, you know, were being qualified for mortgages that weren't qualified to buy homes. And, uh, you know, we had lending standards that were so lax that, you know, with the slightest little bit of a downturn, you know, you would see foreclosures start to tick up and all that kind of stuff. And that's completely the opposite this time. Uh, one, we haven't been able to keep up with demand. And this is not artificial demand. It's real demand out there. I mean, we've got real demand. We had real demand for people that did qualify and bought houses and credit standards were, were extremely tight. And so those people that bought houses are in at a great time because the interest rates, you know, they bought houses at 3% or 3.5% or in some cases the high twos. And those people have built in equity in their homes. So they're not going anywhere, right? So we're not going to see this huge wave of foreclosures coming. And we still have a tremendous demographic boom over the next 10, 15 years in this country that we need to meet. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, this slowdown is actually helpful. Obviously, we don't want it to last too, down, too long, but it's hopeful because it will help us catch up because 
the, the story of 2022 was not about, you know, did we have enough sales? Did we have enough closings? About is about it taking us too long to build houses. It's taken us too long to get people to, you know, to closing and things shot up so high in prices and you couldn't get workers to show up. And so, you know, all of that needs to write itself. And I think we're going through an adjustment period now where we're going to write ourselves from that standpoint. You, you mentioned something I want to dig into a little bit is the, the demographic boom. Is there a particular demographic you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, we've been talking for years and years now about the baby boomers, right, about them retiring and downsizing. And, and we're certainly in the midst of that boom and the, the numbers, uh, you know, play themselves out. But the millennials, you know, the younger buyers, uh, you know, our kids are a little bit older than, you know, uh, depending on your age, you know, you know, the people that are in their 25, 30 years old are now at the prime time of buying homes and they're starting to buy them. We saw that we saw them come off the sidelines uh, you know, in the last two, three years. And, and that's just the beginning of this wave. I mean, that generation of home buyer, you know, the millennials is the largest generation we will have in the history uh, of our country. After that, it slows down really? because, uh, you know, the numbers are just not there. But, you know, we've got 10 to 15 years of, of them entering into a life cycle of buying homes, of, you know, starting families, of moving out on their own, having kids, et cetera. Uh, you know, they're going to start getting into their prime wealth building years, too. And so, I mean, it's going to be that's going to be the biggest driver, in my opinion, for uh, home buying uh, over the next 10 years. That's amazing, Pat, um, particularly because I've, I've got kids that are millennials. And then, you know, there's so much of what they're hearing on TikTok and whatnot that is kind of anti-home ownership. You've even got like Grant Cordone, yeah. says, you know, the American dream is is not what you think it is um and i really don't know what he's offering advance he's just kind of tearing it down that you know the the home ownership that that we grew up thinking is is great is not all it's cracked up how do you answer that well one it is the single best tool that we have in this country for wealth appreciation that we've ever had and the single biggest one we will have going forward right and so when I talk to my kids and when I talk to younger people about home ownership, I mean, it is the one way that you will become wealthy or at least comfortable in your wealth as you grow older in this country. And if you look back, you have these spikes, these ebbs and flows, right, where you can say, oh, this is a great, this was a great time to buy a house. Oh, this was a bad time. You can't time the market, right? We hear that in the stock market all the time. You can't time it. But over the course of your lifetime, owning a house will become the largest uh, asset that you will own and it will generate more wealth for you than any other thing that you, you can do, uh, you know, for, for the majority of Americans in this country. And, uh, you know, we have an example of an associate that works for us and she is uh, in her early to mid thirties, always wanted to buy a house, had not, uh, you know, had the opportunity to buy a house, had student debt, had all kinds of things. She's a great hardworking person who graduated from college and uh, we helped her buy one of our homes uh, in the last two years. And so she closed on that home about a year ago. You know, we helped her pay off some debt to get there. And, uh, you know, she made a concerted effort to get to where she needed to be. She has already got probably a hundred thousand dollars in equity in her house. Had she not have made that move, she would still be fighting the rat race of owing more on, you know, non-secured debt, that uh, you know she would still be underwater, and now she owns her own home. She's making payments to pay down her mortgage every single month, and you know she's got a hundred thousand dollars in equity in her house. 
she's, you know, obviously short of making bad mistakes in the future or things turning really bad. I mean, she's set for the rest of her life to continue to build wealth. It provides a base and a platform to do that. And I've got the opposite. I've got some people that are close to me that came into inheritance money, right? Young millennial kids. And uh, they're like, ah, well, we don't need to work right now because we got this you know, $100,000 inheritance. We can live off of that for a while. I have tried unsuccessfully preaching to them, what a big mistake you're making. You know, Sure, enjoy some of it, right? I get it. But take some of it, go buy a house with it because it won't go away. Once you buy that house, it won't go away. You may have years where appreciation's up or down or whatever, but over your lifetime, that will pay more dividends for you than anything else you can do. Uh, so, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum there. I mean, you could borrow against it if you wanted to that's do a right. franchise or business. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, that kind of goes into another subject that I, I've often wondered, you know, you have your own um, rental businesses. Not all things are the same out there. So you've got kind of the the Wall Street um, approach where they're, they're buying massive amounts of, um, you know, multi and single family uh, rentals. Then you also have the local approach of of groups that are creating kind of their their own pool of homes and own communities for rent. What is the effect on our culture and on exactly what you just said on you know kind of home ownership? And I know not everybody's in the same phase in life, but kind of what's what's the effect there? Well, you know, there's been a lot written about that, and some people believe uh, you know kind of doomsday theories about that. You know, this rental. Uh, a tsunami that we have going on is going to destroy home ownership in this country. And, you know, when you look at it, the numbers, it's just not there. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not going to destroy it. The reality is, as things get more expensive, and as capital gets more expensive, there are fewer and fewer people that can afford to buy a house, right? But yet mm-hmm. they still want to have the dream of living in their own home with their own backyard and being somewhere that they can raise their kids, go to the same schools and all that. And, and, you know, the single family for rent offers them that option. And so, and this is, it's probably larger, that demographic's larger now than it was 20 years ago. There are some people that just don't want to own a house, right? They want the flexibility of having a, you know, a lease that they can, you know, uh, terminate at the end of a year or two years and they can move somewhere else. And so it provides them that. But, you know, I I think there's, you know, all things for all people out there and it's providing and it's going to start to feed into uh, uh, this new demand that's out there and it's for its single family for rent. And uh, we're actively involved in it. You know, it was six months ago, nine months ago, it was a booming market. Uh, right now it's slowed down because of a lot of the institutions and some of the smaller people, their access to capital has been crimped and their cost of capital has gone up to the point where the numbers don't necessarily work. That's transitory though, because the long-term demographics suggest that, I mean, this is going to be a big market for a long period of time to come. And so, you know, you're, even though you see a slowdown in it now, it's going to come back. Uh, and those that are smart are staying in. Uh, there are some that are sitting on the sidelines waiting for things to change a little bit. And I think we'll see it uh, this year really turn back to a more normal market, not a, you know, feast uh, where everybody was just, you know, jumping into it, but a more normal market, I think we'll see. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, also on the rental, everybody's always in, in different phases in their life. And especially right now, you're seeing such a migration of folks from from different parts of the country, and they really don't know what which end is up. So they want to test it out a little bit, especially Raleigh. Where, where are most of the people coming from to North and South Carolina? Yeah, I mean, all over. It's people, you know, coming from the Northeast, people that are coming from, you know, from Florida that are kind of halfbacks, you know, and uh, 
people that are coming from out west. Uh, you know, the thing that we have going for us here is, and obviously it's a very desirable place to live, so it creates jobs. I mean, we've got a huge job engine here, and every day, and for the last two years, it's accelerated, you know, of additional companies, pharmaceutical companies that have decided instead of us making our drugs or parts and pieces that go into drugs overseas, we need to be making them in the U.S. and let's make them in Raleigh where we can recruit talent and, you know, get people to live. So, you know, we've got this huge job engine and, and you know, the climate's great, the, the, the political environment's fairly stable, the taxes are, are reasonable. So all things that really attract people to live here. And, uh, you know, we have, have been rated in the past and continue to be rated one of the top places to live in the country. And that helps fuel that, you know, that, that growth. Uh, universities here, too, uh, provide. I was going to mention, huge, right behind yeah. you, that, uh, is it what, uh, NC State? NC State, yep, yep, my alma mater. Uh, you know, we've got, you know, NC State, UNC, Duke, and along with a handful of other universities that are here, you know, and so we have a large population of highly educated people uh, you know, and so it's a it's a great place to recruit people as well, too. One of the first things that that you told me about, you know, what you did to go from 50 homes a year to, you know, 500 or, you know, to, to 100 and then and upwards. And how many homes are you expecting this year between single and multifamily? Uh, between single and multifamily to be closer to 400 or so houses this okay. year. Yeah. And then what you did to kind of. Um, it was kind of punctuated equilibrium, how you jumped up there. Um, EOS and, and the book Traction was one of those, right? Yeah. Um, and so let's talk about that a little bit for, for you this year. Um, what Your role there is visionary and integrator? Correct. No, I am the visionary. I hired okay. an integrator three years ago. And how has that been? It's been great. Uh, you know, the first thing was looking myself in the mirror and realizing that I am a horrible integrator. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you when you start a business, you do a little bit of everything. Right. And you're not good at a lot of things and you're only good at a handful of things. And, you know, holding people accountable, setting plans, holding people accountable and understanding what levers to pull in the business was not something I was good at. And so recognizing that. Right. And understanding that for this business to grow exponentially, I needed to bring somebody on that was good at that. And so I found a great person that had been in the industry for a while. And we hired her on about three years ago, and, and she's done just incredible changes to our business to get us to where we are now and get us to be able to continue to grow going forward. And has that also permeated in your personal life, the, the EOS, your rocks and um, annual goals? You know, I was always very well organized in my personal life, and I always had goals that I set and stuff like that. And, you know, staying focused, but it has helped me stay focused on what's important, right? And what things will get you the biggest result, the biggest bang for your buck. But EOS has helped me because I've been able to pull back out of the day-to-day -day side of the business a little bit. It's given me more time to focus on some of the things, you know, so I'm not saying, okay, when I retire, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. I'm able to, you know, start being able to do some of those things now when I'm young and I'm still can move around and I'm healthy and uh, our kids are out of the house. So we've got time to do some things. So yeah, it's been tremendous from that standpoint. That's great. Now, are you able to share some of the big goals uh, that you hit last year? Yeah, from a business perspective, um, you know, last year was the most profitable year we've had, bar none. Uh, and a lot of builders, you know, were that way. I think we uh, inched out a little bit more than a lot of other people did because of our involvement with EOS and traction and being able to really focus on the things that were going to produce the biggest results and not getting, you know, uh, you know, focused on things that would not, you know, and so 
in, in our industry, having above a 10% net profit is kind of the gold standard. And, uh, you know, most builders fall in that five, 6% range. And, you know, you make a good living doing that. Uh, but the gold standard has always been a double digit net profit. And, you know, we're going to hit probably close to a 12 and a half percent net profit for last year. And I mean, it's, it, they're, they're, they're huge numbers and it's allowed us to one, uh, to, to be able to use a lot of that profit and cash flow to help fund our business for the future. And, and it's one of the great things is a lot of builders over the next couple of years are going to struggle with lot positions. This business is built on having access to lots to build on land and lots to build on. And we've been able to take those profits and invest them in our future. And uh, we've got a position of lots to feed us for the next three, four, five years uh, out in front of us that a lot of builders just don't have, honestly. And that's one of the, if you ask a lot of builders, one of their single biggest concern is access to available lots going forward. And that's one of the things that's different from back in the 08 crisis is there were so many lots being put on the ground and then they weren't going to be consumed. And so we have this, we had this overabundant supply of lots coming out of that recession that they went for discounted prices. And, you know, a lot of stuff was foreclosed on and was offered up on the cheap. And that's not going to happen this time. We have such a lot shortage now. Those builders that have access to the land and the lots, they're going to be start coming on the ground in the next two or three years are the ones that are going to be most successful. That's amazing. What are the plans for this year? Yeah, so, um, you know, we are planning to stay flat to actually from a closing standpoint or to actually come down from this year. A number of things. Uh, one, you know, demand is not what it was. And so as we work through our backlog that we had secured last year, you know, and it just depends on how things turned. I think as we get through the middle of this year, I think we're going to see things start to pick back up. Uh, but it, our, our biggest goal is to improve our cycle time. You know, it went to where we could build a house, you know, before COVID happened, we could build a house in four months pretty reliably. Uh, you know, and, and most builders, 120 to 150 days was a good average cycle time that would take. That number got up to over 250 uh, days in some cases. So it's taken us, you know, eight, nine months to build a house. And it's just too hard to manage the business when it's taking you twice as long as it should. So one of our big goals is to get our cycle time back down underneath 150 days and get it down to a more realistic uh, time so that then we can start better. Cause you know, right now you're having to start stuff that you're not going to close for nine months. And we were having to do that last year. And so when we can get it down to a more manageable time frame, that's a huge goal for us this year. And I think, you know, the market with things slowing down, Builders have slowed down, and so it allows the trades and the supply chain to catch up. I think it's going to help everybody out. You're in my upcoming book, The Millionaires You Went to High School With. Um, one of the things that I think really stands out is, is a lot of the adversity you faced over the years um, and, and how you've come out of that. You know, you've talked about the 2008 adversity, you know, when there's lawsuits going on and um, you know, the lack of demand. You said something that really stuck with me. You said, what, what am I going to do? I went out and built another house. And then I built another house. And then the bank called me and said, I've got another couple of lots. You want those? Yeah, look, it is more of opportunity, right? That's right. And even right now, uh, the, the line share builders I talk to, Pat, are, you know, very nervous and it's retraction time for them. They're pulling in, you know, and circling the wagons. But you just said you're looking five years out like, no, 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 no. We're going to retool and we're going to look five years out. That's not normal thinking. How did you get there? Uh, well, it's one, you got to have a tolerance for risk, right? Any situation you're in, whether it's good or bad, things will change, right? 
and uh, you know, especially economic trends and, and statistics just don't lie. And it, they're all tied to logic somewhere, but it always amazes me. If you look at a statistical chart on anything, right? It goes up and it comes down. And when it goes down, it comes back up, right? Unless you're in a business or an industry that's dying or that's dead and is gonna die, right? There's gonna be cycles in it. And so understanding where you are in those cycles and when it's time to, okay, it's time to start making adjustments because things are going to slow down. And then when things are slowing down, okay, now it's time for us to make adjustments as things are picking up. And, uh, you know, I give you a perfect example. So, you know, I'm, I'm tied to builder groups all around the country. And about three months ago, we all started talking about, you know, what are your plans for next year? Are you going to have to start downsizing your staff because the sales are just not there, right? What are you going to do? And everybody's no, 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 no. We're going to wait and see what the first quarter holds and hopefully things will turn around and hopefully, you know, we won't have to do this. Hopefully we made a really difficult decision back in November to make some adjustments in our, uh, in the size of our organization, because I wasn't going to build a strategy on hope, right? I knew what was going to happen. I knew where we were going to be in the first six months. And as things turn around, so we, we, we adjusted and, and downsized a little bit our staff so that we could remain profitable so that we could remain focused and we could do the things we needed to do when things did turn down and other people were struggling, we were in a better position to be able to weather that storm and actually, you know, uh, improve out, come out of it, take advantage of opportunities as they come. And we're starting to see the some, we won't see opportunities like we saw in 2010, 11, 12. And, you know, I wish we would, I don't wish those on the people that it caused harm on, but I wish that opportunities like that would present themselves. We're not going to see those kind of opportunities, but there are going to be opportunities. And our goal is to be in a position to take advantage of those opportunities. Everybody says, how do you get to where you want to go? You take a step, right? You take a step in, in a direction. doesn't matter what direction. If you don't know the path to go, start walking down a path and you may find out you took, you went down the wrong path and you got to go a different one. You may find out you went down the right path, but if you don't head down a path, you're not going to end up anywhere, right? And so I've always been a believer in just make a decision and go, and we'll make adjustments later if we need to. But you got to make a decision. You got to go in a direction of some kind, especially when there's opportunities around there. And we all get drunk and high off of excitement when business is great, right? And we think it will never end, but you need to be prepared and you need to be thinking, okay, when this does end, you know, and the hangover comes, what do we need to be doing to make sure that we're prepared to weather the storm? Thanks for sharing that information, you know, on, on the business and profit, but you and your, your wife do more for charity than probably anybody I've ever met. Let's just first start talking about the McKee Foundation and Alzheimer's Research. A portion of every home you sell goes to Alzheimer's Research. That's right. We started our business uh, in 2010. I went to my brother and my dad had passed away that same year. And I went to my brother and I said, you know, as we're starting this business, you know, we need a way to be able to give back and connect with the community. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And I'm like, you know, this is a huge, you know, this has been a huge impact on our family. Let's tie it to our business and let's use it for one for good, but use, let's use it as a marketing uh, tool as well, too. So we decided uh, right then and there that every home we would sell, we would take a portion of that sale. And we'd put it in the Joe McKee Memorial Alzheimer's Fund, which is in honor of my dad. And then we use that to support the Alzheimer's Association and all the areas that we build in. And, you know, my goal at the time was just, it was simple. It was, I want our name to be synonymous with the Alzheimer's Association. When people think of Alzheimer's, I want them to think of McKee Homes. And I can't say that that's across every place we build because we build in a lot of places, but in a large share of places we build, when people think of Alzheimer's, when they think of the Alzheimer's Association, McKee Homes is one of the top names that comes out there. 
And that's where you want to be from a branding perspective with people. You want people to associate you with good things, right? Alzheimer's is not a good thing, but the cause and the support of the association is a great thing. It's helping us bring awareness and, and helping fund research and, and advocacy for Alzheimer's. It's felt across our entire organization. When we first started this effort, it was my wife and I, and more honestly, more her than me, pulling people, kicking and screaming and dragging along into a cause that was important to us. But it has a life of its own now. We have people that are actively engaged throughout our entire company that are helping fundraise, they're attending events, and it's a part of everything we do. Uh, and it's been great to, just to watch and to see it have its own culture now. So it becomes contagious across the organization. and It does, but it takes time and it takes effort. And it's, it's, not, you know, it's not something that's a one-year or two-year journey. I mean, it's a lifetime journey. And you know, eventually it will develop its own. And you have to be able to adjust, right? It's not going to always turn out the way exactly the way you had planned on it. But you know, when you see those sparks of energy from people, encourage it and encourage them to you know, head in a direction. That's, that's uh, really great advice. And there's another area that I was absolutely shocked about, Pat. Um, I didn't, I didn't know this about you, um, that you and your wife have built a number of schools. Right. Um, and can you, can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah. So, I mean, that goes to, you know, finding where your passion is. Right. And I have always had a desire and a, a dream to give back to society. I wanted to be successful myself, but you know, I, I didn't want to just be greedy and take that all for myself. I wanted to help those around me. And and I, I think, you know, I'm a big believer that what goes around comes around. So if you invest in the communities and it's our job as small businesses to invest in our communities, then it will eventually it will come around and you will be wealthier, both financially and, you know, uh, whatever your thing is, whether it's spiritual or whatever, you will be wealthier when you die because you, you will have made a huge impact on society. And so I've always wanted to do that. I just have never known exactly how to do that other than taking steps. And so my wife was a, uh, was a former educator, public school teacher, and has an incredible passion. I've never seen anybody that has a passion for education the way she does. And, you know, she's tried over the years as she's come to work for our company to maintain that connection with the school systems. And it's like, uh, you know, it's such a huge bureaucracy and you get beat down at every turn and everything she tries didn't seem to work. And, you know, but yet she never gave up. She continued to just keep trying because it's a huge passion of her. So I'm like, well, how can we take that passion that she has and give back? And so it started with my alma mater, NC State. I wanted to find additional ways to contribute to the school and to help support the school. And instead of just writing big checks for athletics or whatever, you know, we did, we sat down and we decided, you know, education is a huge component of her. So let's fund the first scholarship at NC State for a student athlete who is in the Department of Education uh, specializing and, and focusing on elementary education. It was the first of its kind it had done. So we endowed a scholarship there. That was how this got started. And, uh, and, and that's been, it's been great because it's a great connection for her and a great uh, thing for her, but it's also great for me because it's helped supporting my alma mater and we're doing something to help, you know, educate teachers and help them come out of, out of uh, school without student debt uh, and those kind of things. And then, you know, she and I fell in love with Jamaica five or six years ago, and we continually go back there on vacation. And we wanted to find a way that how can we make an impact in this community that, that needs it, honestly, way more than our community does. As we were looking for how can we do it, we stumbled across uh, two business guys who owned a couple of hotels in Jamaica who had a similar philosophy of ours, where they give a percentage of their profits to a foundation. It's called the Rockhouse Foundation. And that Rockhouse Foundation supports the schools and the community in the areas where they have their hotels. And I'm like, well, that's just like what we do. So you automatically go, okay, 
here's a synergy here that we can take advantage of. So we went and met with them. How can we help you? And they told us about their incredible vision to help build a school in Jamaica, an inclusive school in Jamaica, and uh, how you know they needed funds to do that. They needed expertise to help with that. And it was like, well, here's a perfect marriage for us, right? We want to be able to donate some additional money and into a, uh, a community that needs it. And so we made a million dollar pledge to support the Rock House Foundation in Jamaica, which is helping build a school that was K through two, now is going through K through 12. So they're brick and mortar helping build that school. And then my wife, when we go down there, gets to push into the school and train the teachers on elementary math. And so she spends a day every time we go down there, we get to see, you know, the progress of the school that's being built. But we, she also gets to spend a day helping train teachers on math principles, elementary math principles that they just don't have access to. I mean, their day to day, if they're lucky, is just about survival, right? So they don't have access to training. So we're able to provide that as well, too. And we're able to vacation while we're down there. So it was like this perfect marriage of things. And tell people, when you see those things in life, you need to run for them. You need to take advantage of them because they're golden opportunities. We're getting back way more than what, what we're putting in there. And I've always said that a dollar there goes way further than it does. You know, we could have made a million dollar pledge to the school systems here in North Carolina and God knows they need it, right? But it only goes so far. Down there, it's life-changing. It's changing the lives of students and the teachers that teach there not just in the building that we're helping build, but also helping them educate their kids as well, too. So it's been one of the greatest things. And, you know, we're going to continue to support that. And we're looking for other opportunities like that as well, too. That's just amazing, Pat. Thanks for sharing that. I yeah. mean, the, the excitement, um, exuberance, uh, the passion, it's just I, I can feel it coming through the screen. <laughs> um, how do they find out about that? That's as simple as you go to the Rock House Foundation, Jamaica. If you just type that in and you will find the Rock House, I think it's rockhousefoundation.org or something, but you'll find it pretty easily. They fundraise money uh, from the general public. They also do a fundraiser every year in New York where they invite a bunch of big donors and additional people in, then they do an auction and those kind of things. But you know, they are continually fundraising for their vision of creating the school, but then additional schools that they're building down there and supporting the communities. You know, good example, when uh, when COVID happened and all the kids were out of school, so they changed their focus of focusing on, on creating the school and building it at the time. They put it on pause and they focused all their efforts on feeding the families down there. And so they poured all their money into let's help provide food so we can help feed the families because in a lot of cases that was the only place these kids were getting fed was at school. Thank you for sharing that. Um, going going back, kind of covering your career, you've done a lot of things. You've uh, you're a mechanical engineer. You worked at Johnson Controls for a number of years. Um, you worked up to executive sales, and then and then you started building homes in 2006. Yeah, non traditional route of I was an engineer because that's how my mind is, but I went the sales route as an engineer, so I was technical sales my whole career, which is somewhat of a non-traditional route. Yes. You've got that extrovert uh, um, quality, right? Uh, you get, yep. you get filled up by interfacing with folks. What advice would you give to, let's say college students, young people, someone in a cubicle right now that is thinking about taking that step? What, um, what, what advice would you give for them? I mean, obviously do your research and, you know, the, a lot of people run towards the, you know, the great, what, what's the, the, the big fancy thing that's going on right now, you know, crypt, cryptocurrency would be an example, right? Yeah. 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 You name it. And, you know, so let's, I, I want to go invest in that because I've heard 10 people that have done it and, you know, they're, they're millionaires now. I don't, 
a stain to that advice. I don't think that's good advice. I think you've got to find what, where your passion is, where your, uh, where, you know, you think you can add value to what somebody else is doing. And, you know, another great success story in my life is my brother. I mean, he was always the geek in life and he would build chess clocks and motor controls. And he was this little geek and he saw an opportunity to take that and to build something just a little bit better than anybody else was doing. So he started building it and then he went out and started selling those things to somebody and then it grew and it grew and it grew, but finding that little thing. And, you know, mine was always, I loved, I loved people. I love networking, but I also love construction and I love being around construction. And so, you know, the thing I liked about when I went into the Dairy Queen business was actually building, you know, we did three different Dairy Queens and it was building the Dairy Queens was where I got the most excitement, you know, planning it from the beginning and going in and, designing it and then constructing it and dealing with the issues and then seeing the finished product when it was all done. And so, you know, I get to see that every day in the business that I'm in now is taking a raw piece of land and then seeing a, a neighborhood with people raising their families in, uh, you know, for generations to come. Now, you, when you first did the Dairy Queen, so you did that while you still had your your nine to five. At, I uh, did. Probably more like a, a six to six at uh, Johnson yeah. Controls, right? Yeah. And it was, you know, at the time it was, you know, my wife at the time, uh, my ex-wife was, was, we were getting ready to start raising a family. And so she didn't want a nine to five job and I didn't want her to have a nine to five job. So what can we do? She had a, you know, her, in her family, they had owned a Dairy Queen. And so there was some connection there. Okay. Let's, you know, this was a fairly low barrier of entry. We can do this. It's fairly low risk. Let's do this. And if it doesn't work, we'll sell it kind of thing. And so we just jumped in feet first and started our first. And then after we did one, it was like, well, this is working. Let's do another. And then we saw the complexities of owning, you know, it's one of those businesses. You either need to own a hundred of them or you need to own one, but you don't, don't need to own two or three of them. Right. Right. And now one of the things you mentioned though, um, you mentioned several times um, statistics and, you know, in the book, you mentioned that is that um, while you don't have to have a degree to be successful in entrepreneurship, um, it is a it's a big factor. Um, I think you you said most successful entrepreneurs do have some sort of degree, right? Is right. Yeah. So. Now you can always find examples of people that don't. Right. There's always examples of those that didn't even graduate from high school, but I the lion's share of people do. But it's if you stay involved, it's the alumni network that you have and that connection you have that opens doors for you. You know, depending on the degree you get, you know, engineering, I'm a huge fan of. I've got a son that's uh, electrical engineering at Virginia Tech and a daughter that's going to go into environmental engineering. And it's it's one of those degrees that it's not what you're going to learn in the classroom. It's you're going to learn, one, how to challenge yourself because it'll be the hardest thing you've ever done. But two, you're going to learn how to learn. And you're going to learn how you learn and how you best learn. And so it will, that, will, that will feed you for the rest of your life because you'll understand how to solve complex problems in your life. And your life's going to be full of them no matter what you do. You know, and, and there's a lot to it, uh, depending on the school and depending on how the classes are graded. If it's graded on a true curve, I remember um, first, our first year of law school, it was, it was on a curve. The, the bottom third fell out. Um, yeah, I, I started with a class of like 40 something people. We ended up with uh, less than half of that. Um, and so, you know, when you have one test that measures, you know, if if you pass or fail, um, it's a big thing. And that's that's like life. Right. So are you going to make this sell or are you not? Um, and are you going to execute on this project or not? So 
Um, right. I think you're right. There's a lot to that. Fail. How are you going to pick yourself up and how are you going to get past it? What are you going to do differently? Yes. How are you going to learn from it so you don't do it again? That's right. That's right. And getting better and, and improving, yep. improving grades from that. And people are, are going to love this uh, when they hear this. I, I know there's a lot of folks in the home building industry in general that um, there, there's there's a lot of advice going on out there. And I don't think a lot of it is uh, concentric and uh, people are going to love this. But I also think um, a lot of the folks that are um, thinking of becoming entrepreneurs or maybe they're already entrepreneurs and uh, trying to get better. Um, you know, the, the, the one woman bands out there, the one man bands that um, need, need to leverage and, and step up or, you know, EOS. Um, when, when you mentioned that, uh, this, we just finished our first year of that. And for me, that was the biggest accomplishment last year was, was enrolling in our first year of EOS. Um, it's been amazing. And folks are not only rowing in the same direction, but rowing in sync. And, and that's amazing. Yeah. And you'll uh, never get perfect at it, but it helps you get better at, at the things that you can get better at. Uh, and you'll be amazed at, you know, in setting plans and goals and how close you come to actually achieving those. Whereas before it was like throwing darts at a dartboard. That's right. That's right. For me, the, the people analyzer has been a big, big deal. Yeah. Um, on, on it's the hardest part too. It is. Yeah. Is, has it evolved for you? So you've been doing it, it a, a number of years now. So Yeah, it has. It has. Uh, you know, we went from structured meetings where we would talk about people and, you know, how are they core value fits and all this kind of stuff to where now it's, you know, people that have been involved in it for a number of years. It's just the way they think now. So we don't have to have these formal meetings anymore. It's how they think. And well, why did you make this move on this person? Well, they weren't a core value fit or this, you know, they, I saw this in this action where they weren't. Or why did you hire this person? Because I they demonstrated that they can do this and this and this, and it fits into our core values. And so those conversations start to happen naturally over time. Uh, but you know, it's it's really hard, especially when you talk about people. It's it's extremely hard, right? So being honest is, uh, and we you will kid yourself about people sometimes too because you like them, right? They're a good person, like and so. But having honest and open discussions and using those tools to have those open and honest discussions are really helpful. That's one of our core values, open and honest. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, Pat, this has been amazing. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they if they want to contact you? So uh, they can uh, email me. Okay. They can call me. <laughs> I'm happy to, to, to share that. Uh, they can contact you. You can direct them to me. Uh, go to our website and, uh, you know, just contact me and, and you'll be able to get a hold of me that way. You know, mckeehomesnc.com is our website address. Pat, this has been great. Thank you so much for the time. Um, always a pleasure. Um, and you may not know this, um, but whether you know it or not, you're a mentor of mine. It's funny, you know, you go to the gym um, and, you know, that's, that's how us guys think, right? You go to the gym, you're like, man, I want to look like this guy. When I met you a couple years ago, I'm like, man, even though you're only a few years older than me, I'm like, I want to be like Pat when I grow up. <laughs> um, it, it's amazing, man. Just kind of seeing um, you you and your family's relationship, you and your brother, uh, you and your wife, um, but also you with your team, what you've done in business, but also what you've done in, you know, your personal life and, and uh, you know, with charity. It's hats off to you, brother. You're doing a great job. Keep doing it. Uh, we, we love to see it and, and do our best to, to try to follow in your footsteps. Well, I appreciate it. And I appreciate spending time with you and your team too. And, uh, you know, you are a mentor to me too. And I mean, you're one of the best networkers and connectors of people that I have met. And that's a great skill and talent. 
that a lot of people and it, it it will open doors and you know you do it without the intention of getting anything out of it and sometimes you don't get anything out of it but sometimes you do and uh, to, to see that in life and to and to have that skill and actually follow through the way you do is uh, is great so keep it up I appreciate it Pat that means a lot yeah well everyone thank you so much for joining Brady's corner today. Um, we're going to provide Pat's information. You want to reach him and also make sure to like and share and subscribe to Brady's Corner. Um, I do have a book come out, The Millionaires You Went to High School With, uh, Common People with Uncommon Wealth. And uh, Pat is going to be in there. There's an amazing section on him where it goes into detail um, about uh, his life. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Mm -hmm.